no other author has shown more interest in the inner life of Jesus than the evangelist St. John. He wants to help us see what is going on inside Jesus. No other chapter of his gospel takes this further than chapter 17, from which we have just read. The entire chapter is a, a long prayer of Jesus, and a large portion of that prayer is for his disciples. Not only for the disciples that followed him in the first century, but for disciples of all times, that is, for us as well. Jesus prays and prayed for us. Readers of John are often struck by the particular tone of this chapter, and more generally by the tone of what we call the farewell discourses, those chapters 13 to 17 of John's Gospel. A tone of intimacy, of marked tenderness, of reassuring comfort. And there is also, especially in this chapter 17, in which Jesus prays eagerly for his disciples, a noticeable concern, maybe even some apprehension about the future. Not so much what we would call doubt or skepticism, but a real concern for his disciples because of their vulnerability, because of the awareness that things could go wrong, because of the difficult predicament in which Jesus leaves them, because of the hostility that surrounds the small group of his followers, but also because of human weakness and human inconsistency. Awareness of the unique role the disciples are called to play, awareness of all that is entrusted to them, and questions. Will they be authentic? Will they be credible? We have only to look at 2,000 years of Christianity to be convinced of the legitimacy of this concern. How many people have abandoned the faith because of the inconsistency of the church, its lack of credibility, human scandals of so many different kinds that have involved Christians and at times even Christian leaders? But not all of the passage we have read this morning is in the mood of apprehension. There is also confidence and gratitude, awareness that something so great has been given, something so powerful, that a positive outcome is possible. The words you gave to me, I have given to them, says Jesus, and they have received them and know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you have sent me. Gratitude for their belief. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Gratitude for that as well. There is gratitude for the small group of people who has opened up to Jesus, who has started to understand who he is, and what he has come to bring to earth, 
So not only apprehension, and maybe apprehension is maybe not the right word. Maybe we should speak more of the awareness of a risk. Risk in the positive sense, not a reckless conduct, but an initiative that is taken freely with no guaranteed success, but also an initiative that rests on commitment. The commitment of Jesus as he prays this prayer of John 17 is is total. His hour has come. He is about to lay down his life for his friends. And he says, for their sakes I sanctify myself so that they also may be sanctified in truth. Not the easiest of vocabularies to sanctify oneself, to make the gift, the offering of oneself. Jesus believes that what he is about to undergo, his dying and rising, will have an effect on all those who welcome him. The fruit of his Easter mystery is transformational. It's about the appearing of a new human being. It's part of what led the early Christians to speak of a new Adam or a new creation. And perhaps because we are sometimes so overwhelmed by our weakness, we tend to underestimate what God is capable of doing in us with our flawed nature. We are told here that this sanctifying is something that Jesus does. And at the same time, it's something that he asks of his Father. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. There is no guarantee that all will succeed, but there is the confidence that his Father disposes of the necessary power to bring into the world people who are profoundly renewed by what has been revealed. Part of this power of God is exercised in protection, and that protection is remarkably described in the passage we read. Jesus says, while I was with them, I protected them in your name that you have given me. And again he prays, I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. Again, not the easiest of words. What could it mean to be protected while living in this world with its hostility and threats? Jesus says, I protected them in your name that you have given me. What is suggested by name is that we will find strength and protection in the revelation of who God is his name, and also of who we are for God, keeping before our eyes who God is and who we are as beloved, we will find strength. We will be able to accomplish the mission that is entrusted to us. And when we lose sight of this, we become much more easy prey. We are 
prone to fall. The people of the Bible have known, at least since the days of Nehemiah the prophet, that our greatest strength, and therefore also our protection, is in joy. You know this famous verse of Nehemiah 8, 10. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Something that Jews and Christians have given great importance to. It's in joy that we find our strength. So it's no great surprise to hear Jesus say in John 17, after having spoken about protection, no great surprise to hear him say, I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy made complete in themselves. Our community at Thézé uh, in France has cho chooses every year a theme for the weekly gatherings that we have in our small village in Burgundy. We are about 100 brothers in a small village of 150 people. We choose a theme for the thousands of young adults who come to Thézé. Some people in America think that Thézé is music, but it's actually a place where brothers live, the Thézé community. And about 100,000 young adults come to spend a week every year. And the theme for this year for these gatherings is joy. It's joy. It's also with some apprehension that we chose this theme, because if you look around you, and listen to the news, you're not always led in that direction spontaneously, right? But maybe it's an extra reason to speak of joy. Maybe what's going on should lead us to dig deeper into the wellspring of joy. And so this, this theme, you will find it if you are interested in looking up the short text that speaks about it, you'll find it online on the Teze website, teze.fr. Uh, there's a text called Inexhaustible Joy. It has just four proposals that I want to mention before, before I finish. The first is precisely this invitation to dig deeper into the wellsprings of joy. And the times we are living now are perhaps an encouragement to do that. We need to dig deeper. Otherwise, we will be just like everybody else. We will be weary and discouraged. The wellsprings of joy may be our prayer together, this extraordinary singing that we heard this morning. It could be scripture, it could be silence, it could be community. The fact that we search together, we are celebrating the ascension today. It's not the disappearing of the body of Jesus, it's the appearing of a new body. The resurrected body of Jesus. We are his body. And so there's a source also in that, what we learn from one another as we are together. The second proposal in this short text is a little surprising. You might even think it's a mistake to have, why is this in a text on joy? It's an invitation to Christians to hear the cry of the most vulnerable. To hear the cry of the most vulnerable. Not to be afraid to listen to that cry, even if we don't have answers, even if we can't fix things. To hear the cry and to see what the Spirit brings to our hearts, to our communities, not just to our individual persons, 
but to our communities, how we can respond as a community. The third proposal is, takes this a little bit further. It's the call to share joys and trials, something, of course, that comes from Paul. Weep with those who are weeping. Rejoice with those who are rejoicing. It's not incompatible with joy to hear the cry of the vulnerable, to share in their trials. What's incompatible with joy is each person for himself, each man to himself. That's incompatible with joy. But if we are in solidarity with those who are suffering, hearing their cry, we are also preparing ourselves to receive something of Christ's joy because there are opportunities to love that are given to us in these situations. But also to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. That can also be a challenge at times. And the last proposal is an invitation to the Christian family, the Christian churches, to rejoice in the gifts of others, to rejoice in what the various Christian traditions can bring us, can teach us how they can contribute to the fullness of our understanding of Christ's presence. So an invitation to leave behind the model of rivalry, competition, and to adopt a new model, perhaps one where we know that we don't have to be afraid of one another because one of the fruits of the resurrection of Jesus is the confidence that there is more than enough to go around for everyone. We don't have to be afraid of one another. We don't have to be afraid of what is given to one will be taken away from us. We are called to be together with all our various gifts. So let us pray this morning that we may be rooted in the joy that Christ wants for us. Rooted in gratitude because gratitude is often what gives us a sense of reality. We don't listen to our fears, our apprehension, but we are attentive to the gift that is given to us.